So we're really excited about a new sermon series that we're starting for, for the month of May. Uh, we're calling it Her Story, uh, The Witness of Women in, in the Bible. Um, I'm grateful to be a part of a denomination that recognizes uh, and, and empowers women in leadership in the church to be able to lead, to be able to preach, to be able to teach, to be able to serve. Um, the United Methodist Church ordains uh, women to preach, and, and we think it's important to, to look toward uh, our faith and the Scripture to, to learn from the witness of, um, of important women in Scripture. And so that's what we're going to be doing in this sermon series throughout, throughout May. Uh, each Sunday, we'll be looking at a different female uh, character, leader in, in the Bible, uh, to learn about faith, to learn about um, God from, from this particular uh, in, individual. Uh, and so uh, this morning will be the first in that series. And uh, it was kind of important for me, um, if you're going to be doing a sermon series about uh, women in Scripture, it's probably best if you have female voices actually preaching, uh, and you don't just hear it from me. That feels a little bit disingenuous. So throughout the sermon series, um, we'll have some guest, uh, guest preachers uh, preaching. Uh, I'll preach a couple uh, as well. Um, but this morning, we are, are thrilled and, and grateful to have Kristen Lassiter um, to, to share uh, the, the, the message with us this morning. I'll tell you a little bit about her. Kristen is an ordained deacon in the United Methodist Church. Uh, she works um, for Heartland Hospice as a spiritual care coordinator, so bereavement care, end-of-life uh, care. Um, and she's here with, uh, with Frank and Ava and, and Nathaniel and Ella Claire. Uh, and I gave, them, I gave her props because it was prom night last night, and they're all here supporting her, and that's just, and that's just wonderful. Uh, so we're glad, uh, glad that they're uh, glad that they're here. So as she um, as she comes up, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray and then read scripture, uh, and then we look forward to um, to to her message this this morning. Let's pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, uh, grow us and transform us, so that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. Uh, we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. If you're like me and you enjoy a funny video online, I'd encourage you to take a look at one called the Marshmallow Test. Maybe not right now, but when you get home. Um, very easy to search up on YouTube, safe to watch with your kids. It is a video that shows one child after another sitting at an, in an empty room at a table. And these, this video shows uh, a child sitting there waiting and an adult comes in, presumably a teacher or a parent, and places a marshmallow on a plate in front of the child and then says, don't eat this yet. Can you imagine? It, the person says, if, if I can get you just to wait until I come back, I'll give you another marshmallow and you can have two, but you have to wait. Don't eat this marshmallow till I come back. Well, the adult then walks out of the room, the door closes, and our, our camera is filming, and we watch as the child's mind begins to spin. And, and it's really funny. It's a cute video. They stare at the marshmallow, pure desire in their eyes. Some of them poke at it. Others pick it up. They smell it. They lick it. Some of them even take little nibbles off of it and check, make sure it doesn't look like they've eaten the marshmallow. And you can just see them struggling with this terrible challenge, waiting Oh my goodness, waiting is hard enough for adults, but for a child with a marshmallow in front of him or her, that is one tall order. 
Well, I have the privilege this morning of sharing with you about the story of Hannah that we've just heard. I do appreciate Tyler reading the scripture this morning. And if it did seem longer than our usual Sunday scripture, it probably was because, as he mentioned, it's hard to talk about Hannah without hearing her overarching story. And in fact, I would say that the author did a pretty succinct job of sharing the picture of a woman waiting. And it's a beautiful example in scripture which often leaves out the stories of the women, right? So just a recap, we had Hannah married to a man who is called a godly man and who regularly takes his entire family, including both of his wives, Hannah and Penina, and all their children to worship and to make sacrifice to the Lord. The only problem is that all of those children were born to Penina and Hannah remains barren. Now, you probably know there were all kinds of things attached to the idea of barrenness in those days, and most of them revolved around the idea that, that a woman had somehow displeased God. Never was it about her husband. It was always about, about the woman, right? In Hannah's case, her husband didn't shun her or shame her. The scripture actually says he deeply loved her, and it may have been because of that that this other wife was less than kind to Hannah and she taunted her about not having children. Now, we can assume that Hannah's anguish over her lack of children was something that she prayed about for many years. But the scripture leads us to, to see that she came to a breaking point. It says she went to the house of the Lord and she wept bitterly and she asked the Lord to give her a son. And she was apparently so distraught that Eli, the priest, accused her of what? Of being drunk. Talk about kicking someone when they're down, right? Well, you heard the story as it was read. And in her prayer, Hannah tells the Lord that if he blesses her with a son, she will commit him back to God for all the days of her, his life. And she was, in essence, promising to give this child over to the priests as soon as he was weaned for a life of servanthood, not just as a Levite, but also a Nazarite. Uh, this was a dedication that went far beyond the usual service requirements of a member of the tribe of Eli or of, of Levi. And the chapter ends with Hannah fulfilling her vow and giving her son over to the Lord to be raised by Eli and the priests. So I was doing a little informal research when I started thinking about this sermon, and I asked my good friend at work, um, who is a Baptist minister, what attribute she was admiring when she decided to name her own daughter Hannah. With her being a pastor, I knew it was likely that the biblical Hannah was who she was thinking of, and not surprisingly, she answered, it was Hannah's willingness to wait on the Lord. Just as an aside, I also recently met a woman in Raleigh named Penina. And I'll be honest, I thought it was an unusual name, but I did not remember it being the name of the mean sister wife in this scripture until I reread it last week. And that is just a reminder to all you parents out there to do a little background work before you stick your kid with a biblical name, right? Well, as I prayed about this passage, I felt like simplifying Hannah's character down to only the issue of waiting was too limited. She is a much fuller character than that. But because we learn several really important things about Hannah in these verses, I believe these characteristics can be used to check ourselves, particularly 
on the issue of our own connectedness to God and our faithfulness in that. Um, if we're trying to live like Easter people, redeemed and transformed. So let's start with this most obvious issue, waiting. Um, it seems to be the hardest, seems to be the first thing that comes to mind when we read this. All of us have had to wait on things in our lives, much bigger than a marshmallow. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. In fact, as a parent, I really worry a lot of times that our children don't have to wait enough. Don't you feel that way sometimes? Instant gratification is such a thing in our society right now. But when we do find ourselves in that place, waiting or longing for something, maybe it's a job we need or a relationship we need to fix or admission to a school we really want to get into, and man, waiting is tough. I mean, mentally and emotionally exhausting at times. And that's where Hannah was at the moment that we come into her story here. She had been waiting literally for years, always praying, always hoping, always wondering about the future. And it would have almost been understandable to most of us if she had just given up on that particular hope. If she had stopped waiting so hard and simply resigned herself to the life that she was living. Hey, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have children, and apparently that's, that is my lot in life, and I'll probably get a hard time for that from people forever, and it is what it is, right? But do you know why I think she didn't take that route? Why she continued year after year to look towards this blessing that she was asking the Lord for? It's because I think Hannah intimately knew who she was asking and who she was waiting for. She knew the God of Israel, whom she had worshipped regularly, whom she had prayed to daily, whom she had made made sacrifice to week after week with her family. And as she lived into that relationship with this God, she grew in her trust and in her faith so that for Hannah, it was second nature to wait on God because she knew God would show up. Those who know me well know that I don't tend to be the earliest person to an event or meeting, and that is my nice way of saying that I'm usually running about five minutes behind for life in general, uh, just enough to make all you conscientious folk crazy. And I remember a few times when Ella Claire was younger, when I was pulling into the daycare parking lot, tires squealing, trying to make the six o'clock cutoff for pickup, because all of you that have had kids in play school know what happens after six o'clock, right? They start charging you by the minute. <laughs> And I would run into that school afraid that I had traumatized my poor child, leaving her there later than every other kid in the classroom. And I would round the corner in a panic, and there she would be standing at a little table playing with blocks or coloring or some little plastic figures, back turned to me usually, never really crying or upset. And I have to think it's because she knew that her mama would show up that it never occurred to her little mind to think that I wouldn't. Now, 
with Ella Claire, she would very likely turn around even at three and tell me, you're late, mama. But that was just her little sassy attitude. That really wasn't about her doubting that I would come or not. I just wonder if we have this same level of trust in God and in his faithfulness. Are we able to wait simply because we know that God is God and that God wants the best for his children? Do we believe those many places in the scripture where it tells us in various ways that he will never leave us nor forsake us? Do we really believe that in the depths of our heart? It's it's a check for us from Hannah. The other thing that really stands out to me in her story is her moment at the temple when Eli finds her crying. talking but no sound coming out of her mouth, probably moments where she was wailing in her prayers. And here she is, such a complete mess that the priest mistakes her for being drunk. Now, I know not all of you are highly emotional individuals, but I'll admit that I can relate to poor Hannah here. You have heard people talk about having the ugly cry. I can think of many times in my life when I have had the ugly cry. And maybe you have too, whether that is literal all over your red splotchy face or if that is just an internal level of pain that is overwhelming that maybe can't even be seen by other folks. But what matters is it's when that level of emotion hits, what do we do with it? Well, for Hannah, she took her pain to the Lord, right? She cried out in her distress to God. We don't know how much of her pain she may have also shared with others, and that would have been fine too, but she did not hold anything back from the one true healer. In my work as a spiritual care coordinator, a bereavement counselor with hospice patients and families, I come close to a lot of pain And we know that pain and heartbreak do not discriminate. You can be rich or poor, you can be black or white, you can have a PhD or a fifth grade education, but the truth is you are going to have times in your life where you hurt and you hurt deeply. How we handle those moments often says a lot about our relationship with God. Because along with pain, often comes a whole bunch of other emotions. Uh, Very often, we also see anger. We see people acting out. Uh, We see fear. We see people who are crazy anxious. We see people who are looking for someone to blame. Um, These are all just really normal, natural reactions that come with pain and come with, with grief. I do a lot of listening because honestly, when, you know, when you're sitting with a family who has just lost a 38-year-old father of two young children and, you know, a wife left alone, just, there's so much pain out there that sometimes there's nothing to say. So I do a lot of listening. And sometimes I think maybe I've helped a little bit, maybe just, you know, maybe it's a presence. But I am very, very aware that the only one who is truly big enough to actually know 
and take on all of those emotions and all of that grief is God. And when that counsel will be accepted by a person, then the very best thing I can do in my work is to listen and to point. To listen and to point to a God who bears the pain with us and for us. A God who has always borne the sin and the pain of the whole world. Hannah knew instinctively. She had that relationship with God. She knew where to take her need. And I wonder if that's not a good reminder for us sometimes. So that's Hannah's recognition of God's faithfulness to her. But I don't think it would be fair to this woman of the Bible to end without recognizing her own faithfulness in her response and responsiveness to God. The final verses of chapter 1 tell us how Hannah took this baby, the one that she had longed for, for what seems like forever, and gave him to Eli in the synagogue. Now, this wasn't like taking your 10-year-old to church camp and dropping him or her off, right? Samuel was likely much younger, probably two or three years old, according to biblical scholars, because mothers typically nurse their children for a few years at that time. And what she was dedicating him to was a life of sacrifice and service from this early age on. For most male Levites, their service would be expected somewhere about age 30 to age 50. And she was giving this baby over to start from the very beginning, right there living in the synagogue amongst the priests. And the vow of the Nazarite, it went even further in setting someone apart in a very sacrificial way, in a way that um, protected them as holy, as connected to God. When we baptize our children, we physically hand them to the minister as a sign of our dedication of their lives and recognition that they belong to God. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment a baptism here where a family comes forward and they hand Tyler this, this child, this precious baby that they adore with all their hearts, and Tyler doesn't hand that child back to the parents. Well, for one thing, I imagine Tyler and Lauren would both tell us they, they have plenty, their hands plenty full without any of the rest of our babies right now, right? He's probably more than happy to hand that baby back. But at the same time, our expectation as parents is that God gives us this child back for us to participate in raising them up in a life of discipleship. And we count that as a privilege. We treasure these parenting moments. Now, yes, we do have frustrating days when we might like to drop them off at the synagogue or wherever else and say, keep him. <laughs> but we treasure our parenting moments. And you only need to look at maybe one social media site to see how proud we are of our children and our grandchildren. Hannah's sacrifice of this most precious blessing and of being daily hour by hour involved in the raising of him, this tells us how faithful she was. And I never want us to scratch over that fact. 
what a huge sacrifice this was for her. God had heard her cry and answered her prayer in the most beautiful way that she could ever imagine. And her response is to entrust that gift back to God completely. Have you ever tried to bargain with God? Have you ever tried to bargain with God only to drop out on your end of the bargain when a little sacrifice rears its head? I'm pretty sure I'm guilty of this many times over. Um, it's easy to ask for what we need and then go on our happy way and, and forget about the rest. Well, I don't know that bargaining is exactly what the Lord desires from us, but I do know that God asks us to respond to his goodness. It is part of participating in the relationship, not always just being the receiver, but learning how to love God because he first loved us. We practice this every time we worship. We have a portion of the service where we hear the word, and then we have a time where we respond. Uh, if you're following along on, on your order of worship on your phone, there's actually the next section after this says response. Uh, whether that be an act of praise as in song or a prayer of repentance or receiving of Holy Communion or of our physical giving, gifting of our tithes and offerings. The point here is that there is God and there is us and that this together is what makes the relationship. And relationships are not supposed to be one-sided, are they? Relationships are about knowing each other. They're about trusting and sharing and finding ways to show our love and our gratitude. I would say Hannah makes a pretty excellent example of a woman with a heart for God. And I would say that she is inspiring to me to strive to further my connectedness to God so that so that my reactions, my actions and my reactions are second nature, as were hers. So that these roots are so strong and ready to keep me anchored no matter what storms may blow through my life. Because you and I know the storms will come, 100% chance there will be times in life when we need those anchors. We are still in the Easter season. Did you know that? I'm sure you all do. For the church, Easter isn't just a day as it is for the world outside. Um, it's a season in which we consciously celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that this means for us, for our transformation and for the transformation of the world. Today, as we share in the sacrament, I would encourage you to bring with you your burdens. Bring them to God, your pain, your negativity, your disappointments, whatever they may be, and to trust God with them enough to wait on his answers and to respond to God with hearts full of gratitude and generosity because Jesus does not disappoint Jesus always shows up, and his hand is always extended. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.